The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, hello everybody. This is Gwendolyn and I'm very happy to welcome you to this week's show on the Visual Workplace where we discuss how to develop a workplace that speaks. Now that may seem like a really uh, weird way to describe an improvement outcome to those who are uninitiated a workplace that speaks, but in fact it is the functional outcome of implementing visual devices and implementing visual information sharing. The workplace speaks and becomes our partner in the performance process and as importantly in the improvement process. We embed information into the landscape of work and that allows that landscape to join us to make a contribution that goes beyond its physical architecture. We actually put a language in place, a language that is our language, that reflects our current understanding of our operational system, of where we want to have confirmation, where we want to have limitation, where we want to have feedback so that we can engage in our work in a more complete way. And so that work becomes, if you will, a kind of laboratory that we study, that we participate in, that we are a part of. So you can think of, and I often do, think of the workplace as a kind of Petri dish. And I am in the dish, but I'm also looking through the microscope at the dish. I am watching the workplace behave. And for me, because visuality is my field, and quite frankly, the love of my life, I tend, my lens is kind of unswervingly the visual lens. A lens. How, what is the information that is there? What is the information that is absent? How is information being shared? Is it a fluid flow? Is it precise? Is it on time? Is it timely? Is it actually helping me? Is it coterminous with my work? The word I use is embedded. Or do I have to make a move? to reach it, find it, understand it, absorb it, use it? Is it a part of the process? As deeply, if you will, if you want to use this model, which I often do, as deeply as the information is is embedded in countries that have a highly developed infrastructure. You can see the contrast in countries that are developing 
that are developing countries and that are beginning to build an infrastructure, roadways, and information in that roadways about how to use it. But if you've been to a so-called third world country where the roads are simply um, ribbons of, uh, of packed dirt or even pavement and there's no information sharing, it's a dangerous place to be. And certainly safety is the first requirement of any environment for humans. If we don't want that, then we go into the woods, we go into nature, we take our chances. And there's great, great pleasure in that as well. But when we're working, when we're trying to produce, when we're converting material into something of greater value, we have to be physically safe. What we fail to understand, or, or said more positively, what we're beginning to really understand is that the level of sensory information sharing that we can put into the living landscape of work, the physical workplace, will make that environment safer because we'll know how to use it. And we look to the roadways and our highways um, for that information. One of the, my... The, one of my thrilling moments in a car, this was when I was in England a few years ago, was I was bravely driving down on the wrong side of the road and thinking, oh, aren't I clever? And I was getting used to it because I had a long trip, about a 60, 70-mile trip up to a place where I love to go hiking. It's called the lakes, the English lakes. Um, and as I was driving along, I think it was something like the M6, Motorway 6, I noticed these little um, carrot marks in the road. They were like the tops of arrows, you know, that you would find on the keyboard. Uh, just a kind of carrot shape. You would see it at the number six. It's the shift, shift six. There's a carrot. And they were lined up, five or six of them. And then there would be a pause, and they were lined up again, another set of them, maybe three or four. I can't remember exactly. But they happened at intervals. And I thought, well, what the heck is this? But then I noticed the behavior of the cars. And the distance between these sets of, I later learned that they were chevrons or these little carrot shapes pointing forward, the function of these chevrons were to keep the interval between the cars so you could, as you were driving, calibrate whether or not you were in good braking distance or too close. And it was built into the landscape of the road, into the tarmac. And there's so much around the roadways because we have human complexity, human behavior that is not predictable. We have high danger. We have these cars we have a lot of complexity, a lot of decision-making that's in process. In a sense, there's no standard procedure, but we build in, a, we build in the cues and the, and the devices that help us use that landscape rather uniformly. And that is a good beginning model or vision place for companies that want to move to visuality and are trying to justify it. All you need to think of is the roadways that you travel on to work without any visual information sharing, and you'll get a sense of what might be missing from your workplace. Because you know what would happen if that those visual devices weren't in place. Even the beautiful translation of slow down children playing or 15 miles an hour and the speed bump that makes it so. 
the speed bump, which is on a completely different power level than the sign that simply tells us and the speed bump that makes us do it. All visual information sharing, but we could expand that to say sensory information sharing because sometimes, honestly, we don't see the bump coming. We feel it because we're airborne and we make an adjustment. We change our behavior. Visuality is about the translation of information into exact behavior, but here's the rub. We don't do it through training, through supervising, through micro-supervision, through training again, through hope, or through exhortation, urging people to do the right thing, through signs and slogans. We do it by embedding that information into the landscape of work, and that gets the behavior. We do it through visual information sharing, visual devices. So that's a rather long lead into the show today, but, uh, you know, it's so interesting. It is so interesting, this world of visuality. And what a thrill it is for me to be able to articulate it to people who are interested in hearing more about it. Uh, I have no announcements today except thank you for your emails. I answer every single one of them personally. And you have been asking me to put more meat on the show. Several of you have said so. You love it and you want more. So I'm going to get right into um, the content of today. And today we're going to be looking at the visual wear, the first part of the visual wear, which is coming after the many shows that we've had on Smart Placement. Remember, I'm sure you do, our shows on Smart Placement, the last one was last week, were about locating function or relocating it so that it supported an accelerated flow before you lay down the visual wear. And the visual wear we describe in three parts. It's a border, it's an address, and if possible, it's an ID label. And here's the rub for everything that casts a shadow. A border for everything that casts a shadow, a home address on everything that casts a shadow, and if possible, an ID label. Those are the three components of the visual wear or what I sometimes call automatic recoil meaning that there's enough information on the thing itself for the thing itself to find its way back home to recoil into its designated location. This is pretty much 5S on steroids. This isn't lines and labels. This is embedding functionality and getting very discrete performance from those three elements of the visual wear. We prepared for them. We prepared for the visual wear by doing our smart placement work by locating function based on flow, based on an accelerated flow. So now that you know where, where the relationship between function in a given area or, if you will, across the whole company, as you do this cumulatively and ripple it out, you have a target area, you are now going to begin your borders. This show and the shows around borders, addresses, and ID labels will not be about the infrastructure that supports a good implementation. I'm going to take a breath in about four weeks and remind you again of the components of an infrastructure and how important it is for you to not only know what to do, but how to do it. And how to do it includes the management and the improvement support to make sure that your efforts not only have an impact, 
but are sustainable so they can continue to have an impact and as importantly to grow, to go deeper. Very simple visuality and a very robust system to support it. As simple as language itself. And if you're a baby, you'll know that's a challenge. And if you're a linguist, you will know the details of how, what a miracle language is to begin with. To begin with. But if you're kind of in the middle the way I am, you just say, well, you know what? I can form sentences and I can communicate. And that's the way it is with visuality. So we're going to be talking about borders to begin with. I have a great deal to say. I did this my first border show about a year ago, almost exactly, but I did not go into the detail. And there is a great, a great deal of detail. And I believe that you will find it greatly interesting. Okay. So the heart of, the heart of the matter is this visual location, which I call the visual where. And uh, pretty much, an equivalent name for that is automatic recoil. And we implement this systematically. We're nailing down those locations that we have uh, identified through smart placement. And we embed that placement and the relationship between those locations through borders. There is no greater application to secure order than the border. I actually said that. I'm making poems right in front of my very eyes. And I, I want to say this. Culturally speaking, by the time you reach setting locations, if you're using 5S, which is beyond setting order, this is really setting locations, everybody in the company has a pretty good feel for Who's on board? Who's watching? Who's grumbling? This cultural landscape is not a problem. It is simply information. It is simply we recognize there are some people who are really enthusiastic, others who are watching, and others who don't like what they see, and they pretty, they're pretty vocal upon it. When it comes time to lay down the borders, those who are enthusiastic will remain so, those who watch will smile or smirk or laugh a little, chuckle, or just kind of be neutral. And those who grumble will either say rude things or go bananas. Borders are not readily understood by people who have never worked in a company where visual order was installed comprehensively. Unless you've had an experience of the power of borders, you will either hate it or simply laugh at it. But if you've had that experience, you will seek it. Borders are, in fact, the single most important physical element of your pursuit of the visual wear, your pursuit of order, orderliness, retrievability, automatic recoil, sustainable benefit through the visual wear. Okay? So we're going to slide into a break now and we'll pick up the content. We'll go as far as we can go for this show and we'll probably do one or two more shows on borders, but in depth. I'll also, I may also take you through the exercise or the outline of the exercise 
to um, validate your current color code system for borders. We'll see. I think I can accomplish that um, simply through the radio show, I will, if I think that will be a, a meaningful piece of content for you. I have need to think about it. Okay, I'll see you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. Hi, this is Gwendolyn at the Visual Workplace, Gwendolyn Galsworth. I've been doing work in workplace visuality for the last 30 years, since 1983, for heaven's sakes, and enjoying every minute of it. And I'm sharing with you what I have learned, and hopefully you will find it relevant to your purposes And you will use it and say, wow, this is the cat and maybe even the meow. Today, we have started a new segment of marching through, if you will, the 10 doorways. We're in doorway number one, the one that's owned by operators. It's called visual order, visual inventiveness. And in that, we are implementing the visual wear We've used the first part of the process if you need to do your 5S and clear out the clutter and um, make things safe, then you do that. And then you do your smart placement, where should things go, even though they are in a different place right now. And then you get to uh, the visual wear. Just before the break, I was mentioning that the indispensable first step of the visual wear is to lay down the borders now that you know where they need to go. And you can expect if people aren't used to borders because you don't have them elsewhere or maybe this is the first cycle in your plant, you can expect people to not get that enthusiastic. Why do I have to put a border around this machine? It's not going anywhere. Why do I have to put a border around um, my stool? I know where it goes. But the formula, and it's a formula that's criteria-based that turns out to be fabulously important, 
is that there's a border for everything that casts a shadow. Now, if you are in a clean room environment or you're in a hospital environment where there's a lot of uh, customers or you're in a boardroom environment, sales and marketing, you're going to have to make some adjustments. But right now, in order for you to get the impact of borders, I'm going to isolate our focus to a manufacturing environment. And in fact, I want it to be assembly or fabrication, not continuous process flow. We can talk about machine-based environments, machine, uh, what do we call it, machine-dominated uh, environments. But for right now, in order to demonstrate through language on the radio, I want to keep our focus on a highly discrete environment, discrete manufacturing, so that you understand the power there, which is the most powerful place for it. And as you know, most of the improvement techniques came through the automotive industry because most of the improvement techniques were developed at Toyota and then began uh, to become adapted and then adopted by other kinds of manufacturing and other kinds of workplaces. And there's enough difference for that to be important. That's transformation of um, an improvement tool in one environment to being useful to another is an important transformation, but we're not focusing on that now. So that will allow me to speak very purely. Okay. So there is a mandate in visuality. The formula for automatic recoil is as simple as it is powerful, border address, and if applicable, an ID label. I'm not going to take a lot of time on ID label, but just so your mind is at ease, we put an ID label on the small things that are in the border. But if you have widgets, even though each, uh, let's say, um, washers, even though each one of them casts a shadow, you're not going to ID label them because you're going to consume them. Okay, the ID label there is is like a dog tag to help the thing find its way back home. But if it's going to be consumed, it's actually has found a new home in, a, in an assembly or sub-assembly. But nevertheless, we talk about the formula that way. So in borders, we start on the floor and we move up. We move up to the walls, to the benches, the work sur- surfaces, the shelving, the cabinets, the drawers, for everything that casts a shadow. And this mandate applies, as I suggested a moment ago, to items that are easily moved, you and me, to those which are not easily moved, tall shelves, machines. It's We say everything that casts a shadow and we mean it. We mean it because something very miraculous happens when you follow that formula. Now, I do want to say that bordering usually gets off to a slow start. As I said, suggested before, people, many people don't really think you mean it or don't really want it. Other people think it's just plain nutty. And the idea seems to be um, primarily, as I said before, appealing to people who have worked in a company that has already adopted borders as an important part of their improvement strategy. So they know it. They know the power of borders for themselves. And I do want to say 
that the color code system is important, and we'll spend part of the show on that if I can give you the whole um, session of how to set that up and validate your borders or change them, the colors, I will. But the main thing about borders is that they accomplish even more than simply maintaining order. And I want to illustrate this with a story. I have been working as a coach and a teacher and a thinker and a writer in the field of workplace visuality for 30 years. I've told you that many, 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 many times. And I am often invited to come into a company to assess the company's current level of visual competency. Hey, to what extent are we visual? Are we there yet? And what's next? How do we go wider or deeper? Now, a lot of the companies that invite me to do this, invite me in to do this, believe that they are well on their way to completing that journey. But based on my eyesight, most of these have barely started. But the fact that they've started is already a cause for celebration. And still others are thinking about starting, and it's clear they haven't started and they know it. And I notice that when I go into a company that um, has begun the journey but doesn't realize that it's a very, very long one, I am expected to understand their level of visuality through a walkabout. But I experience something else instead. When I go into a company that is either knowingly or unknowingly new to visuality, I almost always experience a few moments of panic. After all, they're giving me their good money and they want me to say something useful and relevant. And I want to do that too. But when I look out into the vast gray and usually brown or white and blue, array of their production floor covered with machines and benches and small clumps of people moving about, there's a certain kind of dialogue that goes on inside of me that goes something like this. Oh my gosh, I haven't the foggiest idea of what is going on on this floor. I can't see anything and therefore I don't know anything and Maybe this one time I will never be able to help these fine people. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Now this mental miasma, when it comes, lasts only a nanosecond or so. But still, it's undeniably there, however fleeting. And then I mosey onto the floor and the kind of cognitive flow, the mental flow kicks in. And I become a visual system expert again. But I have that odd moment. Yikes. And I have often asked myself, why did it happen? And then one day I realized why I went into that moment of panic. And I need to now back into another story. And the revelation came when I was teaching a seminar in Texas Oh, I would say a good 12 or 15 years ago. I was in the midst of explaining the importance of borders through a sequence of solutions that I was showing. And the sequence came from one of my favorite companies, 
Denison Hydraulics in Marysville, Ohio, now Parker Denison. And the incoming inspection team was repeatedly vexed by people, meaning Donnie and, and Pete, people, the forklift drivers, putting overflow parts in the aisles instead of making room for them in their designated location or finding a team member, an incoming inspection team member, to redirect them to where do I place this stuff. They would just dump stuff. There were simple borders in place. They were kind of left over from three years before when they did a kind of hopeful 5S that didn't really go anywhere. And the people, and it was Bunky and Neil and John and Paul, and incoming, were getting very, very annoyed. They came to the training. It was the first cycle of training at Denison. And I made what I thought was a pretty ordinary promise, which was big to me. I said, look, I'm here to teach you principles, and you're here to find applications. You're here to find applications, and you know that your application is powerful enough when you get the behavior change. When the behavior changes because of the visual devices borders being one such visual device, then you know that you have a pretty good visual device. You may decide to go further in a little while, but you've got a good platform. So they took me at my word. We went through the methodology of what was then called 5S plus 1 visual order, but I now call it um, operator-led visuality, and we were at the stage of putting borders in place. And they put their borders in place around their incoming material, Green was, uh, uh, sorry, orange was for incoming. Green was for incoming inspected, ready to go. And red was for incoming inspected and we got some questions, it's on hold. So they had those three categories. And they were bright, sassy borders with beautiful spaces between the aisles. And I loved them. And they were, they had addresses on them that clarified what the color coding meant. Beautiful. And I took pictures and I complimented them and I said, wowie, zowie, this is terrific. And they said to me, like in one voice, no, it's not. No, it's not. So Bunky Bunky spoke up and he said, you know what, Gwenny, you promised that this was going to work and it doesn't work. And I said, what's not to work? These are gorgeous. And they said, you said that visuality would create a behavior change, that if we shared vital information, we'd get the associated exact behavior. And I said, okay, well, what's not going on here that should be going on? And they said, well, Pete and Pete and Donnie are still dumping their stuff. And then it hit me, oh my gosh, when they were talking about behavior change, they meant somebody else's behavior. They wanted visuality to change somebody else's behavior. That's a pretty sophisticated level. It's by no means out of reach, but it isn't like a starting point. But you know, my life was on the line, and so I said what every good teacher says. You know what, guys? My job is to teach you principles. And your job is to find powerful applications, applications that are powerful enough for you to get the behavior change you seek in the first place. So what I have to say to you is keep going, figure it out, I know you can. And I'll be back in three weeks. And I came back and they showed me what they had done. And I thought it was going to be the beautiful after picture But as you'll find out in a moment, it wasn't. 
because they had done something that I thought was pretty cool, but they weren't happy. They were not happy. So what they did was, in the space between the aisles, they put a great big yellow X in each of the aisles between the rows of incoming parts or ready-to-go or unhold parts, big Xs. And I said, oh, my God, that is so cool. And I took my pictures and I went over to them and said, congratulations. And they said, for what? And I said, what do you mean? They said, it's not working. What do you mean it's not working? How could it not work? Great big yellow X going down the aisle. There's no there's no room to put something without violating the X. And they said, oh, yes, there is. There's this little quadrant in one part of the X, the empty space quadrant, another quadrant in the upper part of the X, another quadrant on the side of the X, and another quadrant in the space that was on the lower part of the X. And Pete and Donnie are just putting the boxes there. They're beating us at our game. And I thought, those clever humans, those clever humans, I wonder if they're joking. And I said, do you think that they're just trying to get your goat? And they said, no, they're not. (laughs) They think that's what we want them to do, is to situate it in the vacant parts of the X. And I thought, oh, my God, I am defeated So I said my canned line, the one I gave you before, I said it again. I said, look, guys, I'm here to teach you principles. You're here to find the applications. Please stop whining. Let me see what you got. Be smart. Be brilliant. Be dazzling. And I'll be back in three weeks. So I come back in three weeks. And, of course, I walk over. And I see something that I've never seen before. It is gorgeous. I'm going to describe it in a second. And I said, I am not taking a single picture of this until I find out if it works. And what they had done was for the entire space between the stacks of incoming or outgoing whip or on hold whip, the pallets of uh, parts that needed to be inspected, they painted the aisle solid yellow, solid, bright crayon yellow. They adapted what I had shown them in one of the lessons, which was something called a person with borders. They were borders that had the function of boundary, but also had the function of access. So they were borders that were wide enough to both inscribe the edges, but also allow a walkway. Person with borders. And these are really handy when you have high stacks. Or when you have narrowly placed whip and you're trying to make sure you can access. You have this beautiful person with borders. Bright yellow. Only these were larger. They would, I would say, they were about four feet. Kind of pallet width. And I looked at it and they were beautiful, stunning. They still had the color coding, the green for outgoing, the orange for incoming and the red for whole. Beautiful labels, all of that stuff. But they had these borders. And I went over to them and I said, okay, guys, I see what you've done. And before I go a step further, before I take a single picture, I have a one question. Does it work? And they said, Gwendolyn, it doesn't just work. It worked without instruction. It worked without our saying anything. We prepared it on a Friday. And it's a union-based plant. So, And... Jimmy came in and laid it down. He put down, you know, cleaned the floor, laid down the first layer, latex paint, 
laid down, let it cure, laid down the second layer on Saturday, let it cure, and then put two coats of sealant on top of it. Because our formula is lay it down so it lasts a year, but also know how to remove it overnight. So as your borders, your borders can get smarter as you get smarter. But that's a side note. So, listen, we're going into a break. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, leave what's, what's coming next to after the break. I'll be here and I'll see you in a minute. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. I can hardly wait to finish my story. Hi, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. We're in our third segment of the show today, The Visual Workplace. We're talking about borders, and I'm talking about the importance of borders in a very broad way, what they do that is not immediately understood or even intuitively recognized. But what is recognized is that when your borders are powerful, behavior aligns with it and I'm trying to make the point I am making the point in fact I'm, I'm I seek to make the point that your borders are indispensable because they really can govern behavior and what we've been talking about here is um, a story where I learned this it was at Denison Hydraulics in Marysville I was with the guys and they were making high precision uh, hydraulic pumps, a lot of manufacturing, machining, assembly, subassembly, testing, incoming, outgoing, you know, real manufacturing, kind I love, real manufacturing, the heart of America. And they had tried borders, but the behavior was not aligning. The behavior of the forklift drivers, forklift drivers, two of them, Donnie and Pete, were just dumping where they, wherever they, these were, Forklift drivers from incoming, from, from receiving. They were delivering, delivering all the time. There was another forklift na- driver named 
Bill Podowski, whom you met in one of the smart placement shows, who was uh, uh, delivering material in the inside of the plant. So plain old borders didn't work, even though they were beautiful, crisp, splendidly colored, just very, very, very high level. The X didn't work. It didn't change the behavior of Donnie and Pete. And the guys then painted a bright yellow person with borders. They were more than person with. They were like four feet wide on each of the four aisles of incoming inspection. And it worked. The behavior changed overnight. And they said to me, the behavior didn't just align. It changed overnight. No one got trained. We didn't even talk about it. No one was threatened. Nobody was reminded. The behavior simply changed from wrong, dumping stuff wherever you like, to right. And right meant they they would come up to the guys. Donnie and Pete would come up and say, hey, I got this stuff. What do you want me to do with it? I don't find any room in the... Uh, in the uh, incoming inspection area. And it, the guys were just completely blown over. My God. They didn't threaten. They didn't anything. And I said, you got yourself a winner. It works. They were happy as clams and proud, and they should have been. But I had a problem. And my problem was that I didn't know why. I didn't know why it worked. And I went on for two or three years presenting these glorious examples and bragging about them, dreading the day that someone would say to me, hey, wait a minute, Missy, that's all well and good, but I want to know why it worked, not that it worked. Why did it work? Until one faithful day in Texas at a Texas seminar and some big tall Texan said, wait a minute, little lady, I want to know why this worked. You're supposed to be the visual expert. Tell me why it worked. What is the principle here? And I thought, now I'm doomed. And then, by the grace of God, I remembered something that had happened to me 25 years before. And I went bingo on the inside. Bingo. Now I understand. And what had happened to me 25 years before is I was living in New York. And I think I told you I started out my work life as a Latin teacher. That lasted exactly one year. Somebody said I had talent. They said, you're good looking, you got talent, you should be on the stage. <laughs> and I was living about an hour outside of New York in a little place called Kinelon, New Jersey, teaching Latin. And I said, oh, you you know what, you must be right. And I started commuting to New York twice a week, taking acting lessons so I could be an actor. And, you know, I had red hair down to my knees, and I was really quite something. And it went so well that I moved to New York, a little walk-up, around the corner from my brother, who was doing his imitation of Vincent Van Gogh. He was a painter, drinking vermouth uh, and driving taxi cabs, and then he would take four days off and paint, paint, paint. And, you know, he was getting really strung out. His paintings were wonderful, but that's another story. And But I was living in a little walk-up. This is the one I told you about that was full of cockroaches and had to get rid of them. And anyway, it was getting very tense. I was trying to be an actor, but the only job I could find was in a restaurant, you know, struggling artist. I was getting tenser and tenser until one day I hollered at a friend of mine who had brought me rice pudding with raisins when I had specifically said, Patty, I want rice pudding without raisins. And I flipped my, my top. And she said, you, have, you may not holler at me. You are not a nice person. And, of course, I started to cry. 
oh, I want to be a nice person. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm so tense. Anybody and anybody could see why I was tense. I was living in New York. My place was full of cockroaches. I was under pressure, and I didn't want to be who I was. I wanted to be an artist, and I wasn't an artist yet. I was an ex-Latin teacher. So, <laughs> so I said, I don't know what to do. And she said to me, you need to meditate. And I almost said, meditate, how do you spell that? Anyway, she said, go and see this person, and that person is going to teach you how to meditate. So I went because I was desperate. You only do things like that when you're desperate. I wanted to be a nicer person, a better person, a calmer person, less tense, less fraught. And I went and the guy said, okay, here's how you meditate. Close your eyes and don't think of anything. Close your eyes. Don't think of anything. I closed my eyes and the opposite happened. I thought of everything. It was like the drive-in movies went on. I thought of everything. And he said, well, try it out for a week and come back. I tried it out for a week. It didn't work, but I did go back. And I said, you know, it is still not working. It gets worse with my eyes closed. And then he said something that I remembered. 25 years later, when I was faced with this tall Texan who said, wait a minute, little lady, you need to tell me why it worked. What is the principle here? And what the meditation teacher said to me was this. He said, I said, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. He said, don't you understand, Gwendolyn? The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. And that's all he said. He said, the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. He went on to explain a little bit, saying, when the eyes are closed, the mind then tries to make sense out of all of its experiences and all of its worries and all of its conflicts and all of its questions. And what you're doing is is you're shutting off the stimulation by closing your eyes and you're left with what's really going on. And the mind is trying to sort through and make sense out of it. It's called a pattern, trying to find the pattern. What does this all mean? That's the pattern. Right? Very interesting. And I'm looking at this thing on the wall that I'm at the seminar and I'm seeing the yellow person with borders and I'm saying, oh my gosh, what these guys did intuitively because they are by their nature visual beings, we are by nature beings of our senses. We receive information through our senses. We make sense of our world through our senses, through this black box we call the mind. That what they did was they saw the pattern. And the pattern was so powerful because it was a powerful impact. As you know, in a field of color, the human eye will see yellow first. So they had these bright yellow borders. Donnie and Pete saw the yellow. They said, you know what? Something's going on here. I better go find out what because I don't want to transgress. This space is occupied. And it was an empty aisle, but it was yellow colored. So they went over and they said, what do you want me to do with this stuff? We got this extra stuff. Where do you want it? And the guys at Denison were completely amazed. But Pete and Donnie were just behaving. They were just responding. And I suddenly realized that what they were responding to was a pattern that was greater than their habit. So I'm going to finish the story. When we come back, I'll talk to you in a minute.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hello again. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Hi, and I'm going to now put the capper on the story, the story that is introducing our um, sequence of discussion around the visual wear beginning with borders. And what I'm establishing for you is what I've discovered about the power of borders, that it is so far beyond lines on the floor as to defy description. We're talking about borders that function, but we're also in this show talking about the power of borders to govern behavior, the power of borders to reveal, and in this case to reveal pattern to reveal the pattern of work. And if you take, if you accept as a premise that the mind seeks the pattern, then you will understand that its importance is this. If there is not a pattern, the mind will not change its mind about its purpose. It will still do that which is its nature. It will seek a pattern. And even though there isn't isn't one, it will still seek. And by my estimation, it takes about two weeks for the mind to give up that search on a fairly aggressive level. What's going on here? How do I behave? Am I safe? What do I do? What's the big meaning? Why am I here? Or why am I here, God? Why did you put me here? This whole desire for context for meaning, and for a sense of physical and psychological safety. The pattern soothes us. The pattern, and some of you know this, the pattern is in itself powerful. It's one of the powers of mazes where you're using power, you're using pattern to go very much more deeply into the psychology of the mind and into the physics of the mind. But here we have the pattern-seeking mechanism, the mind, looking for a pattern. And if it isn't there, in about two weeks, that need doesn't disappear, but it moves to the back burner. 
by then you've made friends. You have now an array of new best friends of people who can tell you how to work, how to function, what it all means. But it's still there as a nodal point, as a noise. And there are a lot of missing patterns in a non-visual workplace. And this noise, which you could call stress, builds up in the mind. But we must also ask ourselves what happens when the pattern is there. Because for me, it is equally as revealing and even exciting. When the pattern is there, the mind will see it. The mind will recognize it. The mind will say, aha, I get it. And then it will wait a heartbeat and go back to its nature. And what is that nature? Seeking pattern. And in this case, it will seek the next level of pattern. And through visuality, if one has the vocabulary of visuality, the person who owns that mind will say, oh, we're missing this layer of information. Let's put it in place. We put it in place. We have the next layer of pattern, which is very local, very particular to that locale. And the mind says, ah, yeah, right. Oh, good. Ah, yeah. Takes a breath. And you know what the the darn mind does? It does that thing again. It says, well, you know, well, where's the next level of pattern? Uh, uh, where's that? Let me see. What are the components of that? What is that next level of activity that I want to capture in a sensory language, in the language, if you will, of visuality, so that it can be the, my next platform and I can understand more deeply what's going on in this environment? And we put that next level of pattern in place. And the next and the next, and ladies and gentlemen, there is a very specific name for that capacity of the mind to seek and find and seek and find and seek and find, seek and establish, seek and establish, seek and establish pattern. And it's the reason why we're on this radio together, why we're talking to each other now. Because you have it and I have it and all 60, 70,000 people who listen to this show every no- month have this. And it is they have an appetite for continuous improvement. Because what we're talking about in creating new levels of pattern, new levels of clarity, of transparency, of information sharing on a more and more subtle level is an appetite for continuous improvement and it is in each of us. It is in each of us. It is part of our chemistry. It is the power of our mind. The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. And seeking that pattern is what brings us along into a pathway of continuous improvement, which is simply waiting for us. We are ignited. We are not trained. That capacity in us is ignited, is triggered, but it's already there. It's innate. And isn't this a relief that you don't have to bludgeon people into seeking continuous improvement, that it is their natural appetite. So this is the power of borders when you lay them down. We enter into a new environment, a strange landscape. The pattern is there and we say, ah, I'm safe and now what is it I can discover here? And if it isn't there, it becomes noise that turns into stress. So on the basis of this show, I, I 
welcome you to the world of borders. We're going to do much, much more. I want to hear from you, please, and help me shape this conversation. I can go in a number of directions. I have a plan. I think it'll take us two or three shows, but if we really get into it or if you call in, next week will be a call-in show as well. Let's talk about borders and talk about their power and talk about their indispensability. I've had a wonderful time with you today, as I always do. Please stay in touch. Radio at visualworkplace.com. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and you know what? I'm signing off. I had a great time. Thank you. See you the next time. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. 